Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5, And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the land of Sechem, and to the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So it was not their property, even though it was their promise. Sometimes when God gives you a promise, the property that comes along with the promise comes at a later date. There are times when God will give you a promise and you'll look at the promise and say, that can't be because my enemies are controlling the land that God says is going to be mine. But let me tell you something. If God makes you a promise, you can take it to the bank. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. This is not just for you, Abram. This is for your sons, your daughters, your grandsons, your granddaughters, the generations that come after you. Look at this because your families are going to raise their families here. The Bible says that at that point, it was a holy moment, I believe, for Abram, and he did something here. The Bible says, there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He built a place of sacrifice in a land of promise that he did not, had not yet obtained, but was still under control by his enemy. And yet he still builds a, an altar right there in Sichem. I want to preach to you today, altars before wells, altars before wells. You may be seated. Now, I don't have any cool M&Ms in a, in, a, in a bowl to try to use as an object lesson for you today, but I do want to start this message with a, a, a little quiz here. I mean, we've all heard that old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Right now, I have my own my own theory on that. I don't believe that the egg could have come before the chicken because an egg has to be incubated. You know, you got to have something. So if there was no chicken to set on the egg, it would have never incubated and, and become a chicken. That's just my theory on the whole thing. I I think that God created the chicken first, and but it really doesn't matter now, does it? it that's not going to change your life dramatically, one way or the other, whichever way you believe. But here are some other questions of which came first. Now, for all you coffee drinkers, you caffeineaholics out there, I've got a serious question for you. Which came first, the latte or the cappuccino? All you people that think latte came first, raise your hands, and all you people that think cappuccino came first, leave your hands down, okay? So latte people, raise your hands. Let's see what kind of, we've got one person. And every, I think that people just don't want to raise their hands. That's what I think we've got going on here. Okay, the latte actually came before the cappuccino. Okay, not to leave the sports fanatics out. Which came first, baseball or basketball? Baseball came first. All right. You are correct. I have a bunch of smart people that God has allowed me to pastor. 
Okay. All you techie people out there, the TV or the microwave, which came first? TV. There's no doubt about that. I should have started off. People are willing to just holler out their answers. They don't want to raise their hands. I don't know. Maybe we've been sweating a little bit too much in here. I know I'm a little sweaty. And you're just thinking of your neighbor. I'm not sure. Yes, the TV came first. Okay, now for those of you that are like me, you're kind of a foodie. By the way, I've got a new recipe for a steak. Talk to me after church. It'll change your life. <laughs> this is more along the lines of a condiment. Which came first, ketchup or mustard? Mustard people? Okay, <laughs> the tomato or the ketchup? Which came first? Which came first, the cow or the sirloin? Uh, I'm just throwing that one in there. Okay. Mustard came first. Mustard came before ketchup. Now, ketchup probably is used more than mustard these days, but mustard actually came before ketchup. Last one. Okay, last one. In the Bible, which came first, altars or wells? Altars. Yes, altars came first. The first recorded altar was found in Genesis. I believe it was the eighth chapter. Altars came before wells. And here we find where Abram, later to be named Abraham, is in a place that God has promised him. And God begins to make a declaration to Abram, and he says, look around you for everything that you see, every place that you step, the place that you're in right now, your descendants are going to inhabit. It may not be yours today, but one day, believe me, if you follow me and you do as you're told to do, by my spirit, you will own all of this. He starts out living in Haran. God speaks to him. He gives him, he says, I want you to leave where you're at. I want you to leave Haran. Haran had become a very idolatrous place. And God said, get your family, Abram, and all that you own and get out of this place. Now, I know that God could have settled him right there in the midst of where he was at and could have eventually given him that land, but I believe God wanted something different, something better. And sometimes, listen to me, God has to take you out of one situation and place you into another place that you're not too comfortable or familiar with for him to fulfill the promise that he wants to give you. God never promised you that you were always going to be comfortable in your walk with him. There's going to be times when you feel like a stranger in a land. There's going to be times where you look at the promises of God and say, how can that be? My enemies are inhabiting the promise that God has told me that I would have. But rest assured, my friend, if God makes you a promise, you just keep moving forward. You follow him. You let him order the footsteps of a righteous man and a righteous woman, and he will fulfill every promise that he's ever said he would fulfill. Abram packs their belongings, gets everybody together, and by faith, they start this new journey to a, a better place, a so-called better place. Just trusting in what the Lord is telling him, but as all good journeys go, 
They had some stops along the way, and one of those stops becomes a very important place in the future. Along the way, they stop at this place called Sechem. It's also pronounced sometimes Sikar. Had a couple of different names that they called it. Later on, it would be Samaria. So they're here in this place. God says, look around you. You're here in Sechem. You're here in Samaria. Your children are going to live here. Abraham stops. Such a moment, such a statement from God that he finds himself building an altar to God. And from our viewpoint in the age that we live, we have cleaned the altars up. We say, come on down, this altar is open. And you walk down the aisles and you leave your pews and you come down to a beautifully carpeted place where you can kneel down or stand and pray and talk to the Lord. And we've kind of cleaned altars up. Maybe if they're rough, we just say make an altar wherever you're at and you turn around and, and you kneel down at your pew wherever you're sitting or maybe you have a favorite place to Pray to the Lord. You call that your your home altar, but more than likely, it's not a pile of rocks. It's not a place where things are slain, where blood is spilled. It's more than likely a place where you can get comfortable with God and you can talk to God about what's going on in your life. I think sometimes we failed to comprehend the altar in the way that it really was, just as we failed to comprehend the cross in the way that it really was. We beautified them and we've made them a place of blessing, but nowhere that I've ever found in the Bible where you can find where anyone was ever blessed before first something was sacrificed. The sacrifice always came before the blessing. Don't ask, just ask Jacob, wrestling all night, hips out of socket. I won't, I won't leave until you bless me. Uh, he walked away from that place with a few sacrifices that were laid down before he received his blessing. Something has to die. The altar's purpose is not a place to be beautiful or a place to be for us to come and want to gather around it just to feel good. But the real altar is a place where things die and they burn up until there's nothing left but ashes that are scattered in the wind never to be seen again. Amen. Altars were not prepared to give life. Altars were prepared to take life. Not a real popular message in this day and hour. Abraham builds the altar, burns the sacrifice, and goes on, as we know now, to receive the promises of God. And a generation passes that you don't really hear Sechem mentioned very much, uh, if at all, in Abraham's son Isaac, uh, his life. But you do hear it about it again in Abraham's son, grandson Jacob. You can go with me to Genesis chapter 33 and you'll see that Jacob is there and guess what he does? Jacob 
also builds an altar. You see, somebody, somebody passed the art of altar building down to the next generation. Somebody showed their son, and their son showed their grandson, and even though you don't read too much about it or anything about it, you'll see where a generation passes, but you'll see where it's still a very prevalent thing in the life of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And Jacob is there, and he's building an altar just like Grandpa built, and more than likely, like his own father built as well. Jacob's learned from his predecessors that there are some things that must be done if you want the blessing. There are some things that need to be done if you desire the promises of God. Somebody has to teach the next generation that we're not just here to drink from the well, but be where this well was, there was first an altar. Somebody has to teach this generation that sacrifice is still necessary if you want to receive the blessings. We've gotten to the place where we don't want to talk about sacrifice. We don't want to talk about being inconvenienced. We don't want to talk about anything that brings harm or, or, or pain into our life. We just want the blessings. Oh, God, just pour your spirit out upon me. Oh, God, just take this pain away. But I'm telling you today, if you want a blessing, there must be an altar that is built in your life where some things must die in order for the blessing to be fulfilled. I'm preaching better than you know. It's not pretty and it's not popular, but it's important that we don't sterilize the altar to our children. It's important that my grandsons and granddaughter see the grandfather shed a tear when the Lord is touching them. It's important that they don't just hear from me about the goodness of God and, and the Holy Ghost. They must also see grandpa and daddy and grandma and mommy. They must also see them build some altars. They must also understand that there is some sacrifice that must go along with our relationship with him. More stuff. I'm a little sad today, so I don't need anything, but I'm just bored. You know what? We, we gather a lot of things out of boredom. I got nothing else to do. I think I'll run up and see what's for sale, see if I can go into Maybe that'll make me feel better, and it does until you get home and you look at it and try it on your own mirror, and it just doesn't look the same, and you just feel like there's always something else you need to add to it. We don't know what it is to just take a moment and stand back and just sacrifice. You made me think of my grandmother today. You want to talk about one closet. She had one closet, and it wasn't even a full closet. It went down like this. Me and my cousin and my sister used to go back in there and use it as our clubhouse. You know why? Because there was plenty of room inside of that closet because she had about four dresses. I've already told on myself about my problem with cowboy boots. So you hit me right between the eyes this morning, Brother Jones. Sometimes I'll pull a pair out and wear them just because I haven't worn them in so long. These need, these need to know what 
the smell of my feet smell like. They haven't smelled my feet in a long time. Get in there, walk around these. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still owning you. Jacob has a son, Joseph. Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. He's a godly man. He's got his own ups and downs. We are well aware of the life of Joseph and the things that he went through. But when all is said and done, Joseph is in command, second in command in all of Egypt. He's, he's running the show there. He's quite the success story. Money's not a problem anymore. The famine's not an issue for him because he was the one that had could interpret the dream, and so they prepared. As a matter of fact, they're not just saving their own nation. They are now helping other nations out. He's got the best clothing. He has power. He has respect. And at the end of his life, Joseph could have been buried anywhere that he wanted to. But the Bible tells us that when Joseph was laid to rest, he had one final request, and it wasn't to be laid next to the pharaohs. It wasn't to be laid in a beautiful tomb, hand-carved in Egypt. No, he said, you take this old man's bone, and you go back down to where uh, to where my grandfather built an altar in teach him. You take me back to that tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver for the, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Sechem. This became, the Bible says, the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Isn't it amazing how at the end of your life, the things that are the most important are not things at all. Walking all over my message today. He had no idea what I was going to preach, but he was he was setting this up for the Lord to try to drive this home to somebody. Quit spinning your wheels. Try to satisfy your fleshly lust with the things of this world. There's only going to be one thing that satisfies you. Amen. We're all going to walk that walk one day. They're going to carry all of us down in a box one day and put us in the ground. And when that time comes, the things of this world are not going to be important to you at all. I believe that Joseph was teaching us through his last request that he didn't want to be remembered by his earthly successes or the power that he wielded over a nation to be what was handed down to his children. But he wanted them to know when you come and see where grandpa was buried, when you come and you visit where grandpa's final resting place was, I want them to come down to the place where grandpa built an altar. I want them to see what an altar is all about. Amen. Let our lives be led and lived in such a way that long after we're gone that our death brings people to an altar of sacrifice brings people to a place where they can repent bring people to a place where this flesh can be killed and we can move forward with new life plant me down by Sechem because God is attracted to altars 
uh, doesn't care about stained glass windows, and I hope that we have a place when we build it. I hope this is as beautiful as we can afford to make it. <laughs> I really do. One of the reasons that I hope for that is because I know how worldly people are. I know how people that think they just look at something and say, oh, let's go check this out. This looks like a nice place. And then we get them in and we, we trick them with the facade of the material things to get them inside so they can feel the presence of the almighty things. There's something about being in the presence of the Lord. But God is not, he's, he's not attracted to that. He's not attracted to the beautiful stained glass windows in the back. And thank God we've done these things to honor him. And somebody's built this thing in reverence to him. And we keep it clean. No, I'll tell you what attracts God. God is attracted to a place where somebody kneels their life down, bows down before him and says, God, whatever it takes, whatever you got to kill out of me, whatever needs to die inside of me, God, I want you to take it. And I wanted to die so that you can give me something brand new. Nothing beautiful about it in our eyes, but God looks and he sees someone heaping one dirty stone on top of another. One filthy sin on top of another. He looks at people and it's ugly when we repent. I'm not a pretty crier. You know, some some kids, they can cry, and they're just kind of cute when they're crying. You know, they are sad, sad looking. And then there's, there's other people that cry, and they're just flat ugly. I'm one of those people. I'm not a pretty crier. Matter of fact, I think about it sometimes, like, don't, don't, don't scrunch your face up too much when you cry. Just let the tears fall. You don't have to make all the faces. Out there being a distraction. Look at him. He's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch the Lord touch our pastor, but man, he is ugly when he cries. Almost irritating and annoying. Nothing beautiful about offering a sacrifice to the Lord in our sight, but God sees it from a different viewpoint. God is attracted to the contrite. God is attracted to the brokenness. God is attracted to somebody that is willing to lay down their life for him so that they can pick up his life that he wants for them to have. He's attracted to that. He sees somebody sacrificing. He sees somebody laying down their own desires. Joseph's buried. You don't hear Sechem or Sakar mentioned much. Kind of falls to the background, and eventually they change its name completely to Samaria. Much time has passed, and the altar that Abraham had built has long since passed off the scene. Don't hear it mentioned too much anymore. The old altar that was down there. Maybe the winds eroded some of the rocks. Maybe the settling of the ground, some things fell. The old altar that was built, it may not be standing there anymore, but time has passed and 
we pick up where John, in John, where Jesus is with his disciples. And they're in, of all places, Samaria, Sechem, Sikar. Not really even wanting to be there. But Jesus knew that they had a purpose. The Bible said that they were baptizing many. And then you go down to John chapter 4 and 1, where therefore the Lord knew now, knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And then verse 4 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. In other words, it was important to him. There was a need there that he needed to take care of. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground, listen to this, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6 says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the wall, and it was about the sixth hour. Something had transformed over time. When you're thirsty, do you go to an altar or do you go to a well? You go to a well. Why? Because there's no water at the altar. The altar is not there to sustain you. The altar is there for you to lay down and sacrifice things on. The altar is there for things that need to die. The altar is there for the sacrifice that needs to be made in our life. But when you're thirsty, you go to a well because you can dip down into that well and draw up that cool, fresh water, and you can quench your thirst with the life-sustaining liquid that comes from the depth of that well. Over the course of time, something had changed and where there had once been an altar that demanded a sacrifice of life, now we find where there is a woman that is sitting or where Jesus is sitting on the edge of this life-giving well that everybody came to. The altar that took life was transformed into a well that gave life. Jesus is resting on the well. How appropriate, the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb is is resting on the, the wall of the well. The Bible says that there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said, give me the drink. I'm thirsty. How about a little drink of this water? Through the course of conversation, this lady finds that she's not just talking to the average person on the street. John 4.13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. 
whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman says to this strange man that she recognizes as being a spiritual man, a teacher, maybe the Messiah. She says, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Tired of being thirsty. It's like I come down this well every day and I draw water and I take it home and I quench my thirst, but the next day, in order for me not to die of dehydration, I've got to come back to this same well. I would like to have a drink of this water you're talking about where I don't have to go through the trouble of coming back to the well every single day to replenish my source over and over and over again. I'm tired of this thirst. I want this water that I don't ever thirst again. Jesus said, well, before we do that, why don't you go and why don't you bring back your husband? And she says, I, I don't have a husband. And at this moment, it's kind of awkward. Kind of awkward. Because Jesus looks at her and says, yeah, I know. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and one, the one you're with now is not actually your husband. Where music come today. Jesus was telling her, before you can have a drink from this well, there's some things that need to be taken care of first. There's some things that need to die first. There's some situations that are in your life that need to be dealt with first. There's some things that need to be brought to an altar. You can't just come to the well and have not and bypass the altar of sacrifice. You know why the temple was laid out a certain way? And the holy of holies where the Lord spake, and you walked into that room and, and the priest felt the presence of God and the spirit of Shekinah glory was in there. Do you know that wasn't the first thing that you saw when you walked in there? You walked into the tabernacle from the outer courts and there was a process before you ever got into the holy of holies the very first thing that was required was a sacrifice of life on the altar Folks, we've got, we've got a world that wants the spirit without the sacrifice. We want, we've got a world that's wanting to rearrange where the door of the tabernacle opens up. And they want to walk in from the backside and they want to go into the Holy of Holies and they want to feel the presence of God and they want God to speak to them and they want God to bless with them, bless them. But when they're finished with that, they don't go on down to the to the the, the, 
the, the pool, they don't go on down to the altar because we don't want to deal with sacrifice. We don't want to give up any of our stuff. We simply love the way it feels to be in his presence. But Jesus told the woman, before you can have a drink from the well, there's some sacrifice. You need to first find an altar. Have we forgotten how important the altar is in our homes and in our lives and in our churches? Have we gotten to the place where we're so accustomed to just walking in and feeling the presence of God that is in this place from those who have sacrificed and those who have died out that we've walked in backwards to the tabernacle and we've come in and we've felt the presence of God and we say this is beautiful this is great God hand me my blessing but don't ask me to sacrifice don't ask me to build an altar but friend before there ever was a well there was first an altar you cannot have a well without first having an altar would you stand with me today Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, the convicting power of God in this place. I want them to begin to sing. I've got a few more notes, but I feel the Lord prompting me to just move forward. Your altar doesn't have to be pretty. As a matter of fact, it's not supposed to be pretty. You bring your trash, your garbage, you bring your mistakes. You bring your faults and your failures. You bring your humanness and your frailties to this altar this morning. And if you'll have a conversation with God and ask him, God, what do I need to give up? What is it that's required of me, Lord? Because I see a blessing in my future. And God says, there is a blessing awaiting you. There is a blessing awaiting you, church. There's a promise awaiting you, but you cannot skirt the sacrifice. We cannot skirt the altar today because there's a blessing on the other side of your sacrifice. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.